welcome to the show. It is the USL show, and we are sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. We're also brought to you by the beautiful Game Network. This is Phil, and um, I have another uh, interview, a couple of interviews lined up today. It's a long episode, so um, I suggest, honestly, you may want to listen to it in two parts or maybe pick one over the other because the first part here will be nice and short. It's just with the owners of the Rochester Rhinos, and uh, they just had a big announcement the other week, basically a week and a half ago, uh, that they were coming back to D3 in USL, and uh, their owners, David and Wendy Dworkin, uh, agreed to talk to me, and we kind of talked about the road they have ahead. Uh, reasons why they may have done a few things they did this year and in the last year previous to that even. And um, yeah, we just get good information. It catches you up on that, on the Rochester Rhinos. Now, the second part of this episode is with Adam Bells. He's from the Scuffed Podcast, and they cover the United States national team, men's national team. And um, he really dives deep. He goes down all the way to the U-17s even before they start their season. Um, He just did an episode on that. He just did an episode before that on the U-20s. It's like a three-hour episode. It's epic. Um, It's really amazing if you can hang in for the whole thing. It, It really covers everything you can imagine. And I really, I truly enjoyed it. So that's a little insight to how much I like to nerd out about um, the na- the men's national team. And um, if you do, this episode is for you. Um, if that sounds terrible, you're just not going to like it. And I would love feedback. Uh, let me know if this is not something you want to hear in the future. I won't do it. It's a little self-indulgent because this, this is exactly what I love. It is the men's national team and the USL. Um, and those two have combined in the Scuffed podcast. So... Um, I wanted to talk to Adam and give everyone and uh, all the USL fans a, a little insight into how the USL fits into this whole scheme. And so I don't want to give too much away, so I'll stop there. But um, hang in there. Listen to this episode, this first interview with uh, the Rochester Rhinos owners first, and then second, Adam Bells from the Scuffed Podcast. All right, our first guest today is David and Wendy Dworkin. Did I say your name right? Yes, you did. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the show. It's the USL show, and uh, it's your first time on. We used to have uh, Brendan Doherty. Have you run into him in, in your years there? Yes. I, yes. He's a, um, he's a big New England fan. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he used to cover you guys pretty closely and, and recently hasn't, um, and we've kind of re-jump-started the, the show since that iteration. So um, welcome to the show, and I appreciate you guys uh, joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so we have you on today because there was an announcement about the Rochester Rhinos um, joining up again in USL D3 this time. Um, let's start, first of all, with your roles in the club and, and kind of how and when that got started. Uh, well, from role standpoint, we, we do cross over a little bit, Wendy and I. Obviously, we're husband and wife. Mm-hmm. The, uh, we've been involved in this. Our first conversations with the league were in late 2015. When um, the league got involved in determining what the future of the Rhinos would be, and I am, I am, I did play soccer uh, in high school. I was recruited at a very low division level to play soccer in college. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Not sure I would make it on the Rhinos team, but um, I certainly could hold my own as a defender. So I handle the technical stuff. So my interaction had, has always been uh, all of the technical. I would dealt with Coach Lilly when he was our coach, and anything on the technical side falls to me. Mm. And uh, Wendy is an expert in getting our 11 liquor licenses. Uh, she's a lawyer by education. And uh, we deal with interesting hospitality. We split up a little bit. Sponsorship, we do a little split on. But Wendy deals uh, with some of the personnel issues and other things uh, more than I do, certainly. This, um, this was a real turnaround effort, so it really required us to be very hands-on owners. And basically, whatever came up, be it um, league requirements or local media, we just dove right into it. There was just that much to do that even with our front office staff, we just had to be involved as much as humanly possible. And we learned two things. We learned that there's no off-season in sports. Uh, and the other thing that we learned is it may not be our fault, but it is our problem. Aha. I think we're going to touch on that in a little bit, actually. But um, how long have you guys been the owners? I, I don't remember what year you actually took over. Uh, we officially 26. Yeah, we officially took we took operational control in I think February, January, February of 16, mm. and we officially closed uh, March around March 1st of 2016. Uh, but we were working with the league since late 2015. And when you say closed, you you mean you took over and officially started running the team that time. Correct. So we had payroll responsibility in February. Gotcha. We were dealing with all personnel as if we were sort of a de facto owner, working with the league on things. But we closed, transferred the funds for the, the uh, franchise fee, and took legal ownership on the 1st of March. But we had what I call beneficial de facto ownership beginning really around February 1. So was that your first venture into the soccer business? And, and if so, or if not, what was that like? Well, it was our first ownership interest in soccer. Mm -hmm. um, as you might know, my, uh, we're involved in the Sacramento Kings franchise in California as, uh, as owners there. Mm. Obviously, at a very different level here, we own 100% of the Rhinos, and there, not so much. <laughs> and um, but as I told my son, the gentleman who graduates last in medical school, they call him doctor. And the person who owns, no matter what percentage of a sports team, is still called an owner. But we did learn, even though we're not involved in day-to-day -day in Sacramento, we did learn a great deal about what happens with sports ownership and how to interface with season ticket holders and sponsors and things. So this was our first foray in what I would say the leadership role of a sports team. Yeah, and I like I was about to say, you you guys keep filling in the questions I'm going to ask. There's a lot of uh, overlap there, so I imagine having some experience and, and people to talk to is helpful. Um, so can you tell me about the time that the, the team was active, that your year or so, year and a half of, of running, or is it two and a half years of running the team, and, and what that was like, and, and maybe go right into the hiatus decision? Well, the first thing I would say is is that I think we've been great stewards of the club. Mm. The team, as most people probably know, has only missed the playoffs and not had a winning season once in its 22, 23-year history. And we certainly didn't disappoint. Uh, we were a four-seed the two years that we owned the team. We made it to the Eastern Conference semifinals both years. 
Obviously, that comes with good players, good coaching staff, and good support from everyone else. But we certainly carried on the tradition and the history of this team. So for us, that's obviously something that's very important to us, that we were good stewards of the team and that the team continued to flourish. It's not many sports teams that can say they only missed the playoffs once in their entire existence. Mm -hmm. So for us, that was a positive, uh, clearly. And as it relates to sort of what we call our hiatus, in our second year of ownership, we certainly saw things, even in the first year, that we weren't thrilled with. Uh, Obviously, we wanted more attendance than we were getting. And as time progresses, you realize that you're not only not making money, but you're losing money. And what is the best way to slow down those losses? And we looked at a lot of different opportunities and ideas. And ultimately, we realized that the best way for us to really right our ship was to take this one-year hiatus and use that year to really focus in on gaining more sponsorship, to work with our community and stakeholders, and really work to bring in not only the revenue, but remember, this is a story franchise that has been around a great deal and has been through a couple owners. And that was really our plan all along was to, um, once we took this hiatus, to work through that. And, um, you know, there were a lot of positives that came out of it. You obviously don't have the full payroll as a, a, a cost of doing business. So that does help you on the expense side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's move straight to um, as far as soccer being there, even though you took a hiatus, we did have Toronto FC or Toronto 2 games in, in that stadium. And uh, so what was the thought process behind doing that? Um, well, I, I think if you look at the plan for us, it was important that soccer stayed relevant in Rochester. And since we were not going to be fielding a USL team, the best way to bring professional soccer, because there is no other professional soccer in Rochester, was to find ways to keep soccer alive in our stadium. And we appreciate the USL's assistance and Toronto FC, uh, too, certainly, and and all the folks in Toronto. We were able to secure four home games for Toronto to play in Rochester. And for us, it was great. It allowed professional soccer to stay in Rochester. Our season ticket holders were able to come see professional soccer here, our sponsors, everyone, our fan base. So for us, it was important for us to to bring in that soccer, and, and those four games were helpful. They were spread across four different months, so it allowed us to kind of uh, pepper in those games, if you will, along with some other soccer that was not professional, but that we had in the stadium as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some, there were different rumors that were going around, so I just want to clear that up. Some people thought that perhaps you had to get games in there because you, in order to keep the lease or it was part of the deal or perhaps trying to avoid some kind of an expansion or franchise fee. Can you clear that up for us? Sure. Our, our franchise was, was never in jeopardy. Um, the city actually received a letter from the USL which clearly stipulated that the Dworkins and the Rhinos uh, in particular were in good standing in the league, that we have not um, forfeited our right to be in the USL. And that letter was sent to the city, uh, and I'm sure the press saw it as well. So our franchise was never in jeopardy in any way, shape, or form. And the Toronto matches, while providing professional soccer in the stadium, uh, in and of itself, that had nothing to do with our, our franchise uh, abilities. Yeah. And um, as far as the franchise rights go, um, you know, you mentioned earlier to me off air that you have a D2 franchise rights um, and that is still good. Going to D3, is that just being honored as D3? Is it kind of the same thing? I don't know how it works within the league. 
Uh, well, we own a Division II franchise right now, mm-hmm. and we will ultimately have the right to play in Division Three, which, as you know, is a separate asset. And our plan is to field a Division Three team in 2020. Very nice. And so, yeah, let's go straight to that announcement. I think everyone was was thrilled. I was thrilled personally to to hear that you guys are coming back because of the history and the tradition of of Rochester. Um, you know, I think it's the official first uh, soccer-specific stadium in the United States. Am I wrong, or is that true? If it's not the first, it's probably the second. Yeah, I guess maybe Hunt Stadium is, is the first, but uh, still, it's a big deal that Rochester might have disappeared, and, and you guys are trying to bring it back in, in Division Three. Can you tell me about your decision to move to Division Three and to kind of keep the club alive there? Sure. Um, after operating the team for the years that we did, we just think Division Three is a more sustainable business model for our sized community. Um, we started off as Division Three when we first purchased the franchise. Then our team, along with the rest of the USL teams, moved up to Division Two. Mm-hmm. And it's Division Two is a great product. Love it. But for our sized community, um, be it media, corporately speaking, and population-based, I think Division Three just makes more sense. Yeah, I can't help but agree with you there. It's kind of interesting to, to see what happened with it being such a popular franchise with, with such great attendance in years past, and then for it to dwindle. Is there something culturally going on in Rochester, a change of neighborhood? I, I've heard there's been some kind of uh, investment in that neighborhood that you're, that you're leaving, that the stadium is in. Um, can you tell us, is there any insight for all of us that aren't from Rochester about that? Sure. So um, originally the team was playing in Frontier Field, which is approximately about two, two and a half blocks away from the current soccer stadium, Marina Auto Stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a baseball field. And while great for baseball and adequate for soccer in its early days, it it just isn't how one plays ideally professional soccer. As you see how more and more teams are moving to soccer specific venues. While our uh, current stadium, Marina Auto Stadium, is great to view soccer in, um, the original plans when this stadium was built never came to fruition as to how to redevelop the neighborhood. And as time went on, that became a problem. For instance, there are no ancillary fields around the stadium. So it's very difficult to have soccer tournaments or anything like that when you only have one field. Mm. And also, like most um, any asset, after 11-plus years, it starts getting older and requirements of professional sports. I mean, everything changes, everything evolves, and the stadium uh, was and the neighborhood just didn't change along with how the sport is changing. No industry stays the same for over a decade. Well, and we've added the USL has been uh, very much in the forefront of adding a broadcast platform, and we needed to do that, and, and we don't have the HD cameras and things that we needed, so we had to truck in uh, cameras and things in order to broadcast the uh, USL matches that we had at the stadium last year. You know, locker room requirements change. Hmm. Safety protocols certainly change. Everything changes, and your facility has to you know, work for a living, and you need to change along with those 
requirements of the league and all sports. Well, and, and the fields are a big deal that Wendy mentioned. I mean, we had uh, our second-to-last match at the stadium. We had a, a, a youth tournament, if you will, and it was an all-day event, and we had about 700 kids that showed up, and many stayed, of course, for the matches with their family. If we had additional fields, that number could have been double or more. And those are people that will fill the stadium, that will come to the match and watch it. But without those additional ancillary fields, we're not able to bring in the soccer tournaments that, frankly, a professional team should be taking the lead on. Yeah. And I know in St. Louis, um, they can just barely fit those USL home games into that stadium because of exactly what you're talking about. That's, that's my hometown. And boy, I think they make a lot of their money doing that kind of thing. So um, that's something I hadn't thought of. Um, the business side of maintaining a stadium with other areas of income, um, I didn't consider ancillary fields like that. So um, that's a big deal. I imagine that's something you're looking at a new development, perhaps, um, outside of that that neighborhood into the suburbs. Can you tell me more about that? Absolutely. So when we made the decision to not stay in the Marine Auto Stadium, the next question, of course, is where. So our commitment is to potentially field a Division Three team in Monroe County, which is the county that we live in. And we're starting now to look at where might be the best location for our, our complex. And, and I say complex on purpose because, as we just alluded to, we do want to have those ancillary fields. And Wendy and I have traveled a great deal. And in our travels, we've been to the Orlando Stadium, and we love how they have a section where their supporters can stand. And I'm sure everyone on this radio is familiar with the yellow wall that they have in Dortmund. And we want to have a, you know, right now we don't have a supporter section. And Wendy and I actually last year, looked at potentially retrofitting our supporter section and maybe taking out the seats and putting in tables so that people could put their beverages and stand for the match. And it became a little cost prohibitive for us. So as we go there and we go to Charleston and we've been to Pittsburgh as examples, and both of them have a bar restaurant inside their stadium. And as we look at where our current stadium is, we don't have any of that. We have concession stands. We have suite level with a commissary. But we don't have a large area where if people wanted to go and sit at a bar, maybe they want to watch our match and watch some other something else on TV. You really can't do that. So as we look at where to go, we look for land for additional fields, land for our new stadium, and potentially some type of a gathering area for our fans to go to either pre-match, post-match, uh, or potentially during the match. It's all about creating the proper fan experience for soccer. Yeah, um, and you guys would know a little about that, being a part of Sacramento's uh, team, basketball team there. Um, the stadium, I, I think I read that, it's not in my notes here, but I think I read that it's going to be a little more affordable too. You're not going to maybe spend the $20 million that was spent in 2006 on, on that stadium. Uh, that's correct. This current stadium is over 13,000 seats. Our new stadium will be between 5,500 and 6,500 seats with the ability to expand potentially up to 10, but we'd have to really be filling that stadium all the time mm -hmm. to really consider it. One of the things that we really want to have is that, is when he said that fan experience and be able to have the stadium filled so that, you know, when your, your next door neighbor isn't an empty seat, your next door neighbor is another soccer fan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is, is that region maybe perhaps uh, more soccer specific fans in that area too, than, than the other uh, region, the other, yeah, Marina auto stadium. 
Um, you know, Rochester people generally, you can get almost anywhere in this area in 15 or 20 minutes. I think what will help us in the, in the county is that geographically the fans could be coming from work if they don't work downtown in the city of Rochester. It's a lot. Hopefully we'll be more geographically centered in what we're looking at. I think fans travel if, if it's something they want to see, they want to travel. But I think sometimes it's, it's easier to be new than new and improved. And we tried to be new and improved in our current stadium. We tried to redesign, you know, our marks and our logos, and we've made significant upgrades to the current stadium. And I've said to someone else that asked me, we are leaving that facility in a far better place than it was given to us three years ago. There's a brand new turf field. It's um, Revolution 2020. It was over $600,000. It's three years old. There's a commissary on the suite level. The concession stands have been upgraded. We had a spirits bar area where we had a fire a fire pit, if you will, and we put in uh, some poured concrete and things around it. There's a it's, it's enhanced from what it was, but at the end of the day, it it's time for us to be new and new and improved. Clearly, did not get us what we needed. Yeah, I can understand that for sure. Now, the other stadium is publicly was publicly funded, at least partially. Uh, the new one, are you looking for public funds or is it going to be privately funded? We haven't really thought that far ahead. I think as we talk to our stakeholders right now, mm-hmm. the stakeholders that we've spoken to could very well be part of our overall development for this complex. And I think once we know who our, what I'll call our co-locators are going to be, I think things will crystallize a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about moving forward in the future. What is what is the immediate thing? What are the immediate things that you're trying to accomplish right this minute in the next several months? Well, we have to find the right location for the complex with the right partners. That's really first and foremost because until your partnerships and your um, stakeholders are on board and the site has been determined, you can't put a shovel in the ground. So. That needs to be done first in order to make 2020 a reality. Mm-hmm. And are you guys going to kind of resume your roles as somewhat technical directors, doing as much as you can? Um, you know, when do you start thinking about coaches and players? Is that pretty far down the line? I, well, first, we first we need a home and the right community uh, <laughs> partners. I know my husband and his love of the game and the technical side of the sport. I know he will greatly enjoy getting back involved in the technical side as soon as possible. I appreciate the compliment, technical director, but I think you've given me a promotion <laughs> that I do not deserve uh, by a long shot. But Wendy's accurate in, uh, you know, I very much enjoyed going to all of our combines with Coach Lilly. And I remember the first combine I went to, and, and as I said, I, I, I played soccer, but you know, I'm not at the level of these professionals, mm-hmm. uh, but I remember going to the combine and then sitting with Bob Lilly after the combine and I watched the players and I got their numbers and I sat down with coach Lilly after this is our first um, sort of post combine meeting. And I had a list of uh, players, probably five players that I really liked. And I sat down with coach Lilly and I said, listen, these are the five that I'm thinking, uh, you know, I just indulge me. You know, if, if, if I'm wrong, it's okay, but I'm just curious. Yeah. So, 
he sat down and I gave him my five and he said, every single one of those five are on my list, David. Oh. And we actually ended up finding three of them. Three of the five actually ended up playing for us that year. So I felt very good about myself, uh, although, again, not a technical director, but at least being able to do that. And as Bob Lilly said to me, um, and I won't say when in his career uh, it occurred, but Bob Lilly said it, it's refreshing to not have to explain to an owner what offsides means. <laughs> well, that's good. That's something. Um, and yeah, owners, you know, they serve their roles, but you're a nice little hybrid here. So that's that's got to be nice for him. And um, hopefully it was nice for him. I imagine some coaches wouldn't want to, to deal with that, but boy, three for five, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I was pleased. Um, I would be too. Yeah. Um, very nice. Okay. Uh, long-term goals. Uh, I guess we kind of touched on that, but you know, after you, if say you secure a field, what, where do you guys go to next? Well, I think you, you touched on it a minute ago. I think once we secure where we want to go, we outline what our site plan looks like. Uh, one of the things that I'm certainly committed to do is not only to stakeholders, but meeting with some of our, I'll just call them fans. It's a broad term. It could be a supporters group. It could be certain of our sponsors. But really look at, as we start designing this, are there things that I might be missing? And, and I am by no means the end-all, be-all um, Oz when it comes to soccer stadiums, and there are professionals that design them, but sometimes the person who isn't the professional thinks of something that the professional might not want to, Mm -hmm. whether you're in a movie theater and you say, well, why is that column there, or why is something? So I think we're going to seek some support and some help from from what I'll say are local people and say, okay, this is kind of what we're thinking. They're certainly not going to manage the process, but we're certainly, and we've always been very transparent with everyone and our fans. And, you know, Wendy and I and people that are listening that have seen us in action, I have worked in every bar in our stadium. I've worked (laughs) in every concession stand. I've collected tickets. I have helped people into the building. I have held umbrellas for people who needed didn't have one that were getting wet. That's not going to change. And when Wendy said we're hands-on, we are so hands-on. I can tell you in 2016, I'm embarrassed to say this, but it's true, I did not watch a single match from start to finish that wasn't an away match that I was watching on, on some TV, mm-hmm. YouTube, something. And that's because there's always, as we said, there's something we have to deal with and in 17, we watched more of our matches, but, you know, we want to make sure the experience is good. So I think if, if I talk through the timeline, we figure out where we're going to go. We design the building, at least conceptually a site plan. We find out what other people are thinking might be some additional enhancements to the building. And then you, you really get into the weeds and start looking at the zoning. You start looking at what the municipality thinks, what our cohabitators, locators want. And then eventually you break a shovel and you get moving. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, I think that wraps it up for me. Is there anything you guys want to say before we go? No, thank you for continuing to cover us. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm very excited. I really wish you guys the best of luck. It's obvious that you're uh, very passionate owners. You're willing to get your hands dirty, and I, I very much respect that. Um, yeah, good luck. You have a lot to do, thank and you. so I hope we'll be talking more in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.
All right, welcome to the show, and we have Adam Bells. He's from the Scuffed Podcast. It's uh, become one of my favorite podcasts. I, I kind of heard about it from the Total Soccer Show, which I listen to. Um, I listen to religiously, basically. And uh, the more I listen to your show, Adam, the more I realize we kind of we kind of nerd out in the same areas, maybe for different reasons. But man, I love your show, and I, I appreciate you coming on tonight. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate that. It's great to be here. I'm a, I'm a fan of I'm a fan of your show too. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah. Um, why don't you talk about your show? Because the reason that I love it is, you know, this is for the USL show. Obviously, um, I've always been obsessed with the men's national team, and then when we got a USL side, of course, I became obsessed with that almost equally. And uh, the whole local club thing really took over a, a real meaning for me. My uh, took over real meaning for myself, and um, mm-hmm. you know, you started kind of combining the two. To me, it's always been logical to look at USL, at least to a certain extent, and and how it's helping the U.S. soccer community. And it's really kind of taken off this year. But you were a little ahead of the game in that way that you. You talk about the USL a lot, and and I, I was surprised someone finally did that who has the knowledge to do that. Um, so yeah, that's why I jumped into it. But but how do you view your show yourself? Well, the USL component of it, I think, is interesting because so one of the challenges that we face and a lot of fans face when they're assessing young players is. You know, how do you know how good a kid is who's playing in the academy, like the development academy? Mm. He he's maybe he's scoring a lot of goals, maybe he looks really good against other seventeen or eighteen year olds, but like, how much does that really mean? And that's where USL is so valuable, at least for what I'm doing, which is like looking at the national team, looking at the national t- team player pool, trying to figure out who's good and who's getting better and so forth. If you can throw a seventeen year old up against adults in USL, it's obviously not like MLS level or like a European leagues level, you know, like one of the top flight European leagues levels, obviously, Mm. but it's a, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good sort of litmus test, you know, like, can this kid hang with on a field with professional soccer players? And we've seen, you know, we're going to go through a long list of players here, but we've seen a lot of young Americans in USL this season. Some of them have succeeded. Some of them haven't, you know. And I, I don't, I don't know of a better way to, to gauge a player, who you know isn't going to get MLS minutes for a while, you know, is 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 too young probably to sign a deal with a European club. Uh, USL appearances are the best way to check them out. I think mm-hmm. it doesn't hurt that there's actually actually video footage out there too to sort of work with you know yeah without a doubt and 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 we'll go through the main thing we're going to do here today uh with a few of these side conversations is is kind of list off a bunch of players and talk about them because um it's similar to what you do on your show where we're going to find all these young players in usl and and kind of talk about where they stand in that litmus test you're talking about there so um, what do you say we jump right into some of the the guys that we maybe don't have to talk about quite as much anymore? Yeah, great. All right, so we're gonna I'm gonna list this like conglomerate of, of dudes that are playing pro soccer <laughs> that used to be the guys that were like, okay, can they fit in USL? Can they fit? Can they move up to MLS or better? So some of these guys are Jalen Lindsay, Juan uh, Cousin, 
Ben Mines, uh, Danilo Acosta, Marco Farfan, Matt Real, uh, Anthony Fontana. And I skipped over a couple because I might want to highlight those. They're a little different than this group. But these are guys that are all on pro contracts in one form or another, and they're kind of succeeding, right? Yeah. I mean, I would say the headliners here are Jalen Lindsay and Danilo Acosta as the best examples of like uh, young guys who are who are really have sort of graduated out of the USL, I think paradigm. Mm-hmm. Lindsay Lindsay's started several games for MLS, made seven up seven appearances, and looked really good. Um, uh, Acosta looked, you know, he was in Mike Pecky's do- doghouse at Salt Lake, at Real Salt Lake, and then had to play some USL games at the beginning of the season, but he's out of that doghouse now and he's, he's playing really well in MLS. So those two are sort of, they're sort of out of the USL picture, I would say. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. All the way. And, uh, cause Zane started to get more and more minutes. Um, it's cool that sporting Kansas city is actually playing these guys on the MLS level. Not, not too many clubs are doing that. Salt Lake's been known to do that. Um, Ben Mines hasn't gotten minutes with the senior team that I've seen. I don't think. Oh, no, 90 minutes, it looks like. Yeah, he had 90 minutes in the first game of the season and scored a goal, but he's been sort of in that, uh, you know, bouncing back and forth between USL and MLS. And he's been on some rosters for the Red Bulls, but they're a really good team. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't, he hasn't broken through, which is a little surprising to me. Um, I also haven't seen that he's really been tearing it up in USL either. So I think so. I listen to the Raising Bulls podcast, and and they're they're really knowledgeable. I haven't been listening to it for a long time, but the last several times I've listened to it, they've done a really good job. And they love Ben Mines, and I think there might have been an injury as of late. Okay, um, that makes so, sense. Yeah, and so there might be a dip in production as well. But you know, the Red Bulls are kind of a system team, and so they seem to kind of know what they're doing. But you you do wonder why Ben hasn't gotten more of a chance, perhaps this year. Yeah, I mean, I I always wonder why he. I've wondered lately why he isn't more in the U twenty US U twenty picture. You know, he does he does offer some spark and energy and attacking bite and from the wing. I don't know why he. I don't know why he's never been in that picture, but he hasn't really. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. So Ben Mines is eighteen. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up to you was that it seems like there's this weird. The guys that are nineteen right now seem to be like in between twenties, and you know they fell in between the tw- under twenties and the under seventeens in the last round of World Cup. It seems like. Do you feel like they're like a weird, weird age group where they don't fit in anywhere, but they still have kind of talent like Kuzain and there's a guy further down here that's 19. Uh, I can't remember who it is, but do you feel that way at all or, or not really? They just weren't ready. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what to make of Kuzain. Um Are you thinking of Farfan too as another one of these? Yeah, Farfan. Um, so like Kuzain's a solid player. He seems like totally competent when he's been on the on the field for Sporting Kansas City I haven't seen anything that sort of recommends him as a you know like next level talent mm-hmm. but he like he like Lindsay and Acosta a little bit has moved somewhat out of the USL orbit it seems like um is that true has Kuzain yeah. been playing for Swope Park lately 
Yes, yes. Okay. I haven't seen him okay. on this. No, no. Sorry, you said Swope Park. I think he's been stuck. He's been staying up at uh, Sporting Kansas City. Swope Park's been really struggling because they um, lost so many guys all in one year. So um, I think Kuzane's been staying up with Sporting Kansas City. Yeah, Marco Farfan is another one who's gotten a lot of MLS minutes and not a lot of MLS minutes, but he's been on a lot of MLS rosters. So he's he's been a bit in and out of the USL side and the MLS side. Some interesting news with him is lately is he's, you know, there's talk that he's trying to get his Mexican passport, which is a signal that he might want to play for Mexico instead of the US. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, yeah, that seems far-fetched to me. If he's not having a good time here, it seems like that would be harder, right? Yeah, I think. I mean, I saw people comparing that to the Jonah Gonzalez situation, and that's not uh, an apt comparison. No, far right. Far fan can't can't regularly get on the field for a MLS team that might miss the playoffs, and you know, Gonzalez is a starter even now pretty much a every day starter, every week starter for the second best team in league MX right now. So it's a little bit different. Yeah, quite a bit. And, um, not to mention, you know, if we're going to talk about league MX, uh, via came back and took his spot on the MLS squad. So Portland, uh, this could right. be the American thing to do. I don't know if this is necessarily far fan or maybe it is, but he lost his spot because, uh, they can't trust him either. They can't, or they won't. Yeah, he's he's not that good, I don't think. Okay. I mean, he's he's only 19, so he he can grow as a player and I think you know, defenders defenders have a chance to sort of grow in their 20s, I think. Mm-hmm. But he's not he doesn't have like elite athleticism. I think he's a pretty good passer, but uh, I think his defending is leaves something to be desired and he doesn't pop off the screen when you watch him play. That makes sense, um, which is suddenly, <laughs> I think we, we have a lot of left backs right now, so that's not actually the worst thing in the world. He's not, he's not lucky to have the uh, lack of uh, left backs like his pre- predecessors did. Yeah, he won't benefit the way Viafania did probably yeah. in the future. Yep. Okay, um, any of those other guys you want to talk about? Real, uh, Fontana, um, I think you covered everyone else. Yeah, I mean, Real and Fontana are interesting because they're part of that. There are a lot of teenagers at at the Union or at at Bethlehem Steel getting minutes, so you know it's worth it's worth paying attention to them. Real, I think, is a seen as a core member of the U twenty squad, the Tab Ramos's US U twenty squad at left back. I haven't been again. I hate to be a downer, but I haven't been like overly impressed with him. Mm-hmm. When I've seen him play, and he's been mostly confined to USL this season, especially lately. Yep. Same with Fontana, and I haven't. Even, I Fontana's been in more uh, first team rosters lately, if I'm not mistaken, but isn't getting on the field ahead of uh, Dochkal and Bedoya, who are both pretty good central midfielders. Yeah, I was pretty. Go ahead. Sorry. No, he just got some minutes, I think, because one of them was injured early on in the season, like the very beginning, and uh, he scored in his debut. And so I thought yeah. maybe would something would come of it. And more, more or less, that's kind of why he's on this list. Is perhaps if he can score in MLS, he can he can get back in there somehow. 
yeah, you see, see some nice things from him. You know, he's he he's bright and positive on the ball when I, I think when he's at his best. But but um, he's not putting up big numbers in USL, and uh, you know, you'd like to see that from a guy who's who's looking to break into an MLS lineup. Most definitely. Um, and so the next one's an interesting one, and it's a pretty recent development. Uh, we have Eric Williamson, who um, his homegrown rights got bought from DC United by Port uh, Portland Timbers, and um, yeah, he's been playing for T two for a long time um, this season, most of the season, doing well. Uh, but recently, he got loaned to Portuguese Portuguese first division side Santa Clara. Um, so I imagine you read about that and, and I'm comparing this a little bit to this new wave of, of, uh, MLS teams having a loan to Europe instead of the possibility of losing these guys to Europe, which seems to be happening a lot as of late. Do you view it that way? Yeah. Yeah. I see. It seems like a good thing to have somebody like him, uh, being loaned. I don't, Unless I'm mistaken, I don't think it's a loan with a buy option the way the Richards loan is uh-huh. to Bayern. So that's a little different. I mean, that makes the um, the Richards deal a little more exciting to me because it indicates there's a possibility Bayern has seen enough of him to think that he could be somebody they'd invest in, you know, as a as a member of the squad or at least a member of the system. Yeah. And I don't know if this is like an American thing to freak out, but you know, the coach dropped his name in an interview recently and that's pretty cool. You know, he was among good names and probably fourth or fifth in the depth chart in his mind, if you read it that way. Yeah, it was the, uh, the, the coach may have said something too, but I, the one I saw was the, um, the chairman of Bayern was like defending their decision or defending the team's depth in the event of a Boateng, uh-huh. uh, a Boateng leaving the club, which has not happened since, <laughs> but he was defending the depth they had. And he mentioned Richards by name and that I got to, you know, I'm just like everybody else. I'm like, yeah, yeah you know, same. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. It's awesome. Uh, probably we all read a little too much into that, but yeah, it doesn't we'll, hurt. See, we'll see with Richards, you know, let's not, let's not give up hope yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I kind of agreed with you that Eric Williamson, Williamson's a little bit different. I didn't think about the buyout clause, but it really does feel more like, um, when, um, Eric Palmer Brown got loaned to Porto because they had the Swole Park Rangers, they had sporting Kansas city and he went to Porto for a, a bit of a different experience. And, uh, this feels a little bit like that. Yeah, have you gotten to see Williamson playing for Timbers too much this yes. season? Yes, I'm glad you asked because I kind of wanted to talk about it because it's like this classic, you know, you've mentioned it on your show where you have like the midfielder, the central midfielder that's an American that you can't tell if he's a six or an eight, and then he plays down in competition a tiny bit and he either scores a lot of goals or they use him as a 10, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. Erickson, or Eric Williamson totally fits that mold where he, he kept scoring goals with with Timbers and, and being in the box when you wouldn't expect him to be in his positioning. Oh, really? Okay. I, maybe I only saw it in a few different highlights, you know, but when I watch him, he, he just, it's almost like McKinney where he'll pick the right moment to just bomb forward, and except in USL, Williamson's able to uh, pull off a goal doing that. So Okay, that's cool. That's cool. I I wasn't, you know, I he was one of the 
guys on the U20 in the last U20 cycle who I thought, you know, solid MLS had a solid MLS career ahead of him, but uh, probably didn't figure in the national team mm-hmm. pool that much. Is that um, am I wrong about that? Well, because things change. Though they totally change, and the thing is, he's like a Tab Ramos guy. You know, he, if if they keep playing the four one four one or some kind of four three three, like he fits into that system perfectly, and I think he might get a lo- few more looks just because of who he is and where he came from. You know what I mean? But, mm-hmm. um, but you know, as you've said on your show, like there are so many of those guys in our system right now. He might have kind of lost his spot but i feel like this santa clara loaning if he if he does well maybe i like keaton parks you know like people could all of a sudden start talking about him and he could get a look yeah i mean if he does well if he get, if he gets regular minutes in the portuguese first division then you know he's and he's playing well and continuing to get minutes i mean call him up he's in the he's in the 23 man roster for me you know yeah there you go but those are big ifs. Exactly. Big ifs. Exactly. Um, and then we'll move. This is a bit of a rolling into the next se- section kind of guy. Chris Gloucester went from uh, Red Bulls to uh, Hanover. Um, he's been playing with their U19s as a left back. He's 18 years old. Um, and you have you heard or seen much since he's gone there? I mean, the, the key thing with Gloucester is I, I saw that he played up in age group last over the weekend played with the Hanover U23s, so that seems like a good sign. Mm-hmm. He's got fellow American Sebastian Soto on his team and the, you know, the Hanover U19s. They lost over the weekend. They have a big uh, you know, five-game stretch coming up in a few weeks where they're playing five of the best teams in their region, and I think we'll learn a lot about uh, I mean, you know, as much as we can learn about a player in a U19 team in Germany at the moment, we'll learn yeah about Gloucester and Soto it also while we're on it you'll know better than me I've been meaning to ask is there any way to watch these U19 games or U23 games I don't think so not unless there's they stream some of the playoff games uh like in the late spring Mm -hmm. you but the best I can find is the DFB uh you know like the the German Federation's website puts up highlight highlight reels of all the goals of the U19 games. Cool. So that's at least something. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, so let's move on. We're going to go to the first wave of prospects. And this is hilarious because <laughs> you're just, you're, you're that far ahead where you've been talking about these guys for so long. And a lot of people, especially just, you know, average USL watchers and, and listeners of the show, like these are guys that are not, are just barely on their radar at times. <laughs> so like you yeah. and I are like a little past this. And I loved that, that gif you posted the other day, but, um, but uh, yeah. But these guys have been in USL for, you know, half a season or more now, basically, if not, yeah, if not even previous seasons. And uh, let's talk about these guys, and then we're going to get into the people to look for next at the end there. But but let's talk first about guys like Carlton, Gianluca Busio, Ray Serrano Lopez, Richie Ledesma, Ulianez, all the other Los Dos guys. Let's, let's dig into these. I guess we'll start with Carlton. Yeah, well, I, let me just say about this group. These are the like younger guys who were like 16 or 17 at the beginning of the season and were immediately 
getting USL minutes right at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. I think generally speaking, that's who we're about to talk about, right? Yep. Um, so Carlton, uh, had high hopes for him this season and he, he's looked okay. You know, I guess we should describe him a little bit. He's a central midfielder, uh, sometimes winger, attacking midfielder, winger for Atlanta. There was, I think there were hopes among the U.S. fan base that he would break into that regular rotation for Tata Martino's first team. That hasn't really happened, and he's spent most of his time on the field as a professional in USL and a lot of time on the bench for the MLS team. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I guess I'm curious what you think of his game because I, I feel like he's a little bit of a polarizing figure in our little uh strange little corner of the internet he is um and i should just clarify that a lot of my knowledge comes from you so i think we're going to agree a little more than we should <laughs> okay uh, but but you know i've watched games and and he's one guy there are a couple places that i do disagree with you but for the most part i think you nailed carlton like dead on and i think the proof is um, I think I maybe tweeted this, but now I can say it cause you're right here. Um, that for that all-star game, there was an interview, a pregame interview with Ben Mines and Carlton and both of them, this was like disconcerting to me that both of them said, um, Ben Mines said at first that he is able to kind of pull things off in USL and he's able to feel comfortable and, and try to do special stuff in USL. Whereas in MLS, he just tries to get through a game performing his role without messing up basically being in the right place at the right time and trusting the rest of the team and so to me that was a little disconcerting because you want them to be a little especially Carlton who we talk up so much you want him to be a little more advanced than that that he might be able to pull something off even in MLS but he's just not there and that's kind of what you've said and you're able to be really exact about exactly like the sort of things he's not able to do um, the mistakes he's making on the USL level and how he used to make more of them and he seems to be getting better. Um, yeah. I think you nail it. And and you also nailed, I was glad, especially later on, you started saying things like, well, his position and part of what makes him so cool is that he's going to try something that's like a low success rate, but when it works, it's something amazing. That was probably one of my favorite things that you said because it was, it was more honest with what we should expect of a, an attacking midfielder um, of that age, perhaps mm-hmm. those are all the things I thought about him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like he, you know, he hasn't looked, he hasn't looked as good in USL as, as I would like him to look, I guess that's the main yeah. thing I, I have to say. And the production's tonight. not there either, which surprised no. me. I thought he had more, I thought he'd accomplish more, but he hasn't. No. And to be fair, that's a, that team is really struggling. I think that's almost a charitable way to say it. <laughs> yeah. Um, they just don't, they don't create, you know, they, 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 they get plenty of possession. And I know that the, you know, the coaches talk about that. Scott Donnelly talks about how much possession they have, but it, it's never, they're never able to convert it into like real or not never, but very rarely able to convert it into real danger in the attacking third. And, I don't know if how much I don't know how much Carlton can do about that, you know. Yeah. I mean, and I think there's a sort of an interesting argument about like is he is a player like him able to do what he can do when he's not surrounded by quality? Hmm. Um 
And I don't know the answer, but I'm open to the possibility that the answer is no. Like he is, he is, his strengths are minimized when he's on a field, on a baseball field in Gwinnett County, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he he has actually looked better for the Atlanta first team than he's looked for uh, Atlanta two in USL. In that same interview, he actually said, there are things that I've really learned and I wouldn't be as good, you know, I wouldn't ha- be able to be an MLS and do as well in MLS if it wasn't for USL. Hmm. I, th- I think you really nailed it there, though, because, yeah, his. I agree with you that his style of play sometimes is better if if there's talented guys around him. But I think it's just a mix where USL is going to give him certain traits that he needed to move on to the mm-hmm. next level, maybe more practical traits rather than the special traits. and. And then MLS, once he's able to get comfortable at MLS level, maybe he can start pulling off those things that impress us on the next level. Um, Yeah, I I think I agree with everything you've said. I think we just have to wait and see on him. I mean, that's sort of a truism, but it was encouraging to hear that Tata Martinos told, I think it was The Guardian in a recent interview, that Carlton is their quote-unquote best project. Hmm. at Atlanta United. So that was that was good to hear from the boss. Yeah. But we he you know, he hasn't he still hasn't had that breakout I think we all have been hoping for. Yet, right? <laughs> right. We'll say that. Yep. Well, let's move on to uh Gianluca Busio, a guy that uh you and I have talked about in the past. Tell me what you think about him. I think he's a little bit overrated. Uh hard to say that about a 16-year-old. Right maybe even mean to say that about a 16 year old, but (laughs) to his face standing over him. Yeah. That would be pretty mean. (laughs) Yeah. I won't say it to his face, but he, you know, he got, he's gotten a lot of hype because he, he got that game winning assist for the sporting KC first team a few weeks ago. It was a really nice pass. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's sort of been a name that's been on people's radars for, for a minute. He he's I think he and Bello and Giovanni Reina were you know they're all part of this U seventeen cycle and they were sort of initially thought of as the three sort of leaders of that team. But when I see him, I don't see I don't see anything elite there. I see I see a solid a solid player, but doesn't do a lot uh, that's positive on the ball that I can see, and you know offers almost nothing defensively Hmm, yeah so what and he doesn't seem like he's fast enough to be a winger so so he's a 16 year old alejandro bedoya you know yeah oh wow i think you kind of nailed that um but i i do think he has something going for him i got to see him live and um when you watch him off the ball he always wants the ball and he he has confidence and kind of some swagger to him and so he is 16. I think, just like you've basically said, and in the past, I, I would say he could develop into something very special if if he's able to kind of keep going in this way. But but in that other way, where you, you were kind of saying you don't know what to think about Kuzain, who by the way you were right about, he's been playing with Swope Park for the last three games. Uh, but Busio in that system, these guys like Sporting only needs a guy who can kind of keep that rhythm going until they they open up the space for a goal. Um, and they kind of, those guys can do that and they can look really good doing that and they can look not special doing that. Do you think any of that is the system in any way or not? Not really. 
I mean, maybe it is the system with I, those guys. Swope has like the most passes almost in the entire league in USL. So they do focus on just holding the ball and making easy passes, and, and they usually will pass it around till they score goals. It's, it hasn't been happening as of late, but they had a great start to the season. And they don't really, they don't really like press high, do they? They, uh, they're no. not like winning the ball in transition. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be that high, but yeah, um, yeah, that's you know that may have yeah that may have a lot to do with it. It's a good point. I hadn't really thought of that, and uh, now I feel guilty for besmirching the name of Gianluca Busio. Well, but, you can only work with what you see, so. Yeah, I mean, I should say one other, one thing, one positive thing about him is he is definitely uh, able to shoot from distance, hmm. which is which is I'm realizing realizing the more soccer I watch and the more American prospects I follow is not a very common skill. You know, somebody who will just like uncork one from twenty three yards and put it on frame and and test the keeper. Interestingly enough, Wea seems to be able to do that. <laughs> Another one of yeah. those, yeah. Right, Wea. Um, I mean, Efra Alvarez, another kid we'll talk about later. Uh, he does that, but there's a lot of there's a lot of these like indistinct sixes slash eights who don't do it, mm-hmm. don't ever really threaten to score. And I think Busio Busio hasn't been afraid to do that at the MLS level. I've seen him do it at the USL level as well. So that's a that's a big uh, you know point in his favor. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, let's move on a little bit. We'll we'll skip down a few. Um, let's go to Richie Ledesma. He's a fun one. One of my favorites. Yeah, one of my favorites too. I think uh, for me, probably the most impressive American teenager in USL. Mm-hmm. Through the first couple months of the season, and that's uh, over a, with a very small sample size. I think he had five appearances for Real Monarchs, and uh, maybe one or two of those was a start. But you can rest assured, I watched every single minute of those appearances, and just in terms of being comfortable on the ball and influential in a game, uh, only only pr- player who comes even close, I think would be George Bellow, and he was injured for like two and a half months of the mm. summer. So Ledesma, I'm super high on Ledesma, and I think it's awesome that he got that chance to show you know, that he was more than just a good academy player because mm-hmm. he was obviously that. Um, but then he got this chance to come come play for a, not just a USL team but a good USL team, and uh, he, he made his way onto the field and – looked like looked like their best player for you know parts of several of those games mm-hmm, definitely and and now he's he may be i mean all reports are he's headed to the netherlands when he turns 18 in about a week oh week lovely so yeah he's 17 and he did make five appearances like you said and i'm pretty sure you were right about the two starts and yeah, PSV showed up when I was searching his name to, to find that information. So uh, that's that's pretty amazing. Um, sounds like that's a done deal almost. I mean, yeah, I, I have no like inside info, honestly, sure. but um, it seems like it. I guess is the best way to put it. He, you know, he he tried with them, and then he he got to play with their U twenty threes 
in a friendly in the summer and looked really good at that level. I don't, I just, it's hard to see him not looking good uh, when he's on the field with the ball at his feet. He has that, you know how Pulisic has that sort of like he looks fast on the yeah. field with the ball at his feet? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what Christian Pulisic's 100-yard dash is, but um, he looks fast, fast when he has the ball at his feet. Uh, Ledesma has that too. It looks, it almost looks like easy for him mm-hmm. to glide by people, and um, and his uh, his technique is very very refined. Yeah, and the passer. And yeah, and the vision is there as well. That's yeah. one thing that I'm always easily impressed by, and and he did really well with uh, the Monarchs at least with the vision. So, yes, that's true. Um, okay. Let's talk about the Los Dos fellas. Uh, we got Yanez, Alvarez, Mendez, and I missed one, didn't I? I don't think so. I think that's, those are the three from the first wave. Yeah. So let's start with, uh, Yanez is the least impressive so far, at least. Um, yeah. And he's still impressive. Uh, lots of potential, has an a you know has a rare ability to attack from the wing, rare at least in the American player pool. Likes to get the ball out left and run at people. Can cut in on his right and have a shot. Can take him to the to the touchline and I'm sorry to the end line and cross it with his left foot. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, it's, it's exciting player. He's a little bit younger than the other two. He doesn't turn 18 until the spring. Um. So there's a good chance he could end up back with the USL side. I think in the at least at the beginning of the season. There's also rumblings that he's taken his backpack all over all over Europe and is trialed at a bunch of places and he could be gone forever. Who knows? Forever. <laughs> could be. Um yeah, let's talk about these three and then we'll kind of expand on that. Let's talk about Mendez next. Also 17, but you said he's older. Mendez Mendez is a little older than Yanez. He's got actually has the same birthday as Ledesma, mm. September sixth. So I I expect there to be announcements on, for both of those guys. We know that, or at least reportedly, we know that Le, that Mendez trialed with Freiburg, and uh, that's a Bundesliga club in the southwest of Germany. Mm. And I think he trialed some other places too. And I think just like Ledesma, he's probably gonna sign somewhere soon nice yeah and uh, for me at least he's he he's a really exciting player he's a he's a, a number eight while Ledesma's kind of more of a 10 mm-hmm. eight, uh, eight-ish 10 I think Mendez is shades a little bit more towards being an eight very confident kid kind of the leader of that LA Galaxy Academy team that was you know went all the way to the final of the DA championship and um, looked really good in USL too. You know, I think he looked he looked like somebody who wanted to get on the ball and make stuff happen, which is not true of all the kids who've been playing in USL. <laughs> yeah. So one we skipped over was uh, uh, where to go? Ray Serrano Lopez for CL two, right? Is he one that's not same kind of position and not working out? Yeah, I mean he played on the right wing oh, for okay. Seattle. Seattle. Uh, you know, S2 hasn't been all that great either. I think they're roughly in the same category as Atlanta too. Mm-hmm. Isn't that, isn't that right? A little above. This is a worse year than usual for them, but yes, yes. 
but he, he, I think he made one, maybe two appearances early in the season for, for the USL side and just didn't look up to the level. Right he's, he's, uh, he's a little bit younger than these guys too. These other guys. Um, and then Efren Alvarez, um, falling more on the Mexican national side of things as of late, but man, he's impressive with the ball at his feet in the, in the final third, huh? Oh man. Yeah. he, he scored six goals or was it eight goals in like a two month period there. Yeah. And every single, every single one of them was a highlight reel strike from <laughs> seemed like from distance or either like, you know, sending the goalkeeper the wrong way on a, on a breakaway just delightful stuff. Mm-hmm. His aim is, is very precise. Three of those goals came in one game against my team, St. Louis FC. Oh Yeah. The best one of all came in that game too, I think. The yeah. one where he bent it far post. That's the one I'm thinking of, yep. <laughs> I'm picturing yeah, it in that, my mind right now. <laughs> I mean, was has there been a better goal in USL this season? Oh, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens in USL. So yeah. yeah. There's some crazy like, you know, the scissor kicks and the bicycles are all pretty crazy as well. But but as far as like picking a spot and hitting it dead on where you know like no one thinks it's going to go in there's only a few of those yeah and none of them okay. are coming from a 16 year old <laughs> i def- yeah i defer to your judgment for sure but um but he's he's been really impressive yeah he's cooled off a little bit i mean the buzz has has quieted down some partly because he's been on international duty so much but mm-hmm. i think he was in the he was in the squad over the weekend for the Galaxy Los Dos, and they lost 3-0. But I don't know how he played. I didn't watch the game. So that's so that's exactly what I wanted to get at is the Galaxy. I, tr- I think I will get an interview with the coach because I want to ask about all of these things and more. Um, he's in such a crazy situation. But, um, you know, Los Dos could not defend or did not choose to defend most of this season. They kind of started to get better, and I thought they were starting to figure out mixing attack and defense, and and they just haven't. Like they're just all attack. The defense is terrible. Um, even with you know Hilliard Arce is there, one of the the top defenders in the draft this last year. Um, yeah. It's just it's terrible, and so I wonder if if these guys are also getting a boost from just attacking as a team instead of not defending, and it's helping them look really good as attackers. But I don't know. I don't know. That's if a it good goes question. Extreme. Yeah, that's a good question because they don't, like you said, they don't defend. I think there's some pretty, some pretty weak players on that team. Mm. I'm not going to call any out any names, but <laughs> there's some there's some holes in that roster for sure. Well, I can also say so. they've. I'll call out one name because he was in St. Louis. Um, Emmanuel Appia is like a winger slash attacking midfielder. I mean, he is he he holds that ball. It's hard to get it off of him. And, um, he's not a goal scorer, but I mean, the guy is, is like a winger or an attacking midfielder and they're using him as a six and it's just weird to me. It's really strange. He's one of the few guys that are older that are there and I don't know. I just don't know what they're doing. Maybe that's like a, a Bob Bradley, uh, idea. <laughs> Isn't Bob Bradley playing a bunch of eights or tens as, as sixes right now? Oh yeah. Maybe it's just seeping, it's seeping across down from LAFC <laughs> to Los Angeles Galaxy. What do you? Yeah, you know that reminds me. What do you think of Atlanta United too? Like, what's your take on their struggles? I know oh. I'm very much changing gears, but no, no. Uh, they to me are like 
they're just ready to go to D3, in my opinion, next year. And I don't know if that's something they're going to do, but the team just looks like a U19 all-star team. I mean, it's even if yeah. the players aren't young, they're kind of playing with so many young players that that team just, there's too much rotation. They just don't stand a chance. They don't stand a yeah. chance. They're just, yeah. they're just using it as completely as a developmental side. Yeah. And that's what the independent, you know, on, on the USL show, we have this conversation all the time. Independent team fans hate that. They hate those teams. They don't like, you know, Toronto too. I mean, people, they're the laughing stock of, of the USL right now. And except for tonight, of course, they beat Louisville four to one out of nowhere. But, um, wow. Did they? Oh, oh yeah. With James Sands. I was going to bring that up in the next section. So, <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah, but you know, people hate that, and and I'm kind of on that side where if you're just going to use it as a development developmental side, you need to just go down to D3, and and thank goodness we're going to have that next year, and things will clear up a little bit better. But yeah, so can you? I know your all your listeners know all this already. But can you fill me in briefly on how that's going to work? Like, who all is going down to D3? Has that already been decided? Um, so not completely. It's, there are 10 teams in the original application for D3, um, to qualify as a D3, uh, league to USSF. And so eight of those teams are known. One of them is Toronto too. Um, but the rest are independents. Um, one of them's the Chattanooga thing that's happening right now. Um, but no, most of them are PDL sides that are, that are going pro next year in the, on the D three level. But, but there's huge questions as to who the other two are. Cause we have eight confirmed. There's two more that they haven't told us yet. And so people think those are two sides that haven't announced it, um, for whatever reason. So, you know, people will think perhaps Swope Park goes down, um, ATL UTD two to me would be a good one to go down. In a lot, basically, the line seems to be drawn at either you're only using as as a developmental league and you're doing terrible in USL, or you just don't have the stadium to kind of stay up on on D two level. Got it. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Sorry for the diversion. No, no, no. It's I mean, not everyone knows that even on the D two. You know, we focus on the D two level right now, and so that's all very new. Um, I think so. If if you do want to learn more, I did talk to. The VP of the future D3 um, interviewed him like three or four shows ago. So that's back. Oh, okay. That's back there somewhere. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to listen to that for sure. Right on, right on. Um, but yeah, so the low dose thing, I was, I thought that was interesting that perhaps the team itself is, is affecting how these players are viewed. Um, but speaking of ATL uh, UTD2, we have George Bello, Chris Goslin. Uh, we already talked about uh, Carlton, but Bello, you're really high on as a left back. He's 16. Yeah, I think Bello. You know, Bello's been in the 18 for the first team at Atlanta a couple times in the last month. Oh, right, because of injury. Yeah, because of injury, and I also just think he is. He's an elite prospect. Mm-hmm. He's gonna be. He's gonna be a national team player. You know, on some level someday. Um, I mean, the senior national team. He's just so good. Like he he hasn't had a chance to really put his stamp on USL because he was injured for two months at least, maybe more like three months. And then after he after he came back from injury, he's sort of been thrown into the MLS sort of in the MLS mix on that 
in that squad. And I, I mean, he has played some in USL in the last few weeks, but mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm, I I'm really high on him. I saw him the other day, and and yeah, he's he looks good for sure. He he reminds me of you know we're gonna skip over him because he's not as big as these guys, but Aiden Stanley in St. Louis is kind of similar to him when he plays the the wing back role. They they bomb forward and they both can put in a good cross. Uh, Bellows obviously a little more uh, um, technically sound probably, but maybe not as defensively talented. I'm not sure. Hmm. Yeah. Now Stanley is at Duke. Yeah, he went to Duke. So he'll be there at least a semester. I don't know what his decision will be after that. You know, I hope he's with this group where some of the guys are, are going to Europe. I couldn't believe how many went to Europe. And I started to wonder if maybe he would try. And um, I think he wanted to make sure he got that college thing locked down. And I think after a semester, he can keep that, um, he can keep that uh, scholarship even if that's all he does. So I don't know if he'll stay at Duke or if he'll leave or try Europe. I'm rooting for Europe a little bit, but I don't know if he can hack it. Yeah. Well, he can always go back to Duke, right? Mm-hmm. And St. Louis will take him back. I know that too, or I assume that. He's, he did really well for him. What would you do? I, what would you do if you were if you could do Europe and you don't you can't quite make it into Europe? Would you choose USL or would you go back to a, a school like Duke? Um, Talking a left back slash center back. Keep that in mind too. Boy, I don't know. <laughs> I I would probably go to school if I couldn't make it in Europe. Mm-hmm. But. I'm like 51% school, 49% USL side. Yeah, it's a tough decision. It's really tough. Other kid, the other kid had, um, well, one more thing on Stanley. I, I got, to, I did watch some of his performances early in the season, and I agree with you. He looked good. Did he? Did you see that he like progressed over the course of the season? Oh yeah. And the weird thing is, he flipped a switch at the beginning of this season where all of a sudden he was not just like a guy in USL. He was one of the better guys on the team, um, at, at least getting, you know, getting forward. And so, yeah, he was good. I mean, he supply, he, they didn't just give him starting spots. He, he earned it against a really solid left back that I really like on our team as well. So hmm. he deserved it. I think he could go to MLS pretty easily right after college. So that maybe that'll be his, his route. Uh, but if he wants to go pro, I think he could play St. Louis and then and then move from there if he continues to progress. And especially if the U.S. Uh, national team, like the under-20s, use him, I think then that's his best chance right there. Yeah, okay. He seems to be like the backup center back slash left back for, you know, the third guy out for right. U-20s right now. He went to yeah. that Spain friendly and, and he was he got some minutes as the third center back basically. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's right. What do you um? What do you think of Goslin? Have you? I haven't watched enough watched? of him to know, but I know in preseason people really liked him, and and I don't know if he saw good enough competition. But there was this like this this story that people were latching onto that he should be the six that Atlanta needed at the time, and I think they filled that role, but. I don't think he would have filled the six role, but he was probably one of the 
um, better matches they had on the roster, on the extended, extended roster, which is ridiculous. Um, what do you think? Could he play as a six? He seems like more of an eight. Yeah, he uh, he could play as a six or as an eight, but but he hasn't been he hasn't been good enough. I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but he hasn't been good enough in USL. Yeah. So, I feel like he he had a really there was a lot of buzz around him after his performances for the U U seventeens in the World Cup last fall, and he's kind of stalled out a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, I also, I honestly, I, I mix up him and um, uh, Eric Williamson a little bit. Just oh, really? Because yeah. of the, the, where they play and how they play in the U.S. system. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They do have similar um, sort of profiles on the field. Goslin, I mean, Goslin still has a lot of potential. Like he's, he's athletic and he's, he's got pretty good technique, but there's just too many mistakes from him on the ball like almost like lapses in concentration and and man it's hard to read hard to get a read on anybody as that's part of that atlanta atl utd2 what a mouthful that is <laughs> it's terrible we go off ridiculous. on it regularly <laughs> it's awful yeah abbreviations are supposed to have less uh you know yeah. less syllables that is exactly the same amount yeah so. give the, the you could just see the marketing department give me an abbreviation that makes it more complicated <laughs> work hard at it um okay we'll take a break for a second here and then we'll do our last segment which is the uh the new wave of prospects ones to look forward to we'll be right back We're going to take a quick break here to talk about Soccer Loco. Uh, Soccer Loco sells you anything you need for soccer needs, soccer wants. <clears throat> they have lots of jerseys that you can buy over there at SoccerLoco.com. And uh, if you want to support us and you want to buy gear, um, then just go to our page, the USL Show. Dot com and click on the Soccer Loco banner on that page. It's kind of blue. Um, yeah, Kevin McCamish, Big Kev, just bought some uh, soccer cleats for the first time in like five or ten years, he said. And uh, he got them there. They're pretty uh, crazy color scheme, actually. I really like them. So, um, yeah, it's good stuff they have there. You can, you know, like I said, stuff you need, stuff you want. Uh, you can also uh, dig into our Patreon page on the USLshow.com. You can click on that banner as well, and that's just totally voluntary. We don't have any kind of a paywall or anything, but if that's something you want to visit, um, feel free to do that. I figured this was a good spot to put this ad. So there it is. Thanks for listening. We got a little bit longer to go, so stick with us till the end. Thanks. Welcome back. We're going to talk about the uh, guys to look forward to, the guys um, proving themselves uh, useful in USL. Some of them not amazing, but some some nice prospects. Um, how would you describe this this group? Is that close? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, these these are guys that I wasn't paying any attention to at the beginning of the season, but have sort of like come onto the radar screen, uh, you know, since then, and some more recently than others. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, some of these are very recent. Um, but one of the one of my favorites uh, because he popped up in a place that was unexpected, um, an independent club. Ethan Bryant uh, for San Antonio has two assess- assists in the USL, and uh, boy, he's got a baby face and some luscious locks. He's a homeschooler. <laughs> it's a good story. <laughs> he, looks like, he looks like a homeschooler too. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I love you, homeschoolers. Oh yeah, you're you weren't a homeschooler. I have a lot of homeschool I, friends. I was not, but I did have plenty of homeschool friends. Um, yeah. W- w- did you w- did you ask a question about Bryant? Oh, I got just, distracted by the whole homeschool thing. Yeah, he's another guy where I've seen a lot of highlights where he's kind of often around the the goal that happens, and obviously has to assist. But he seems pretty involved as a, I think he's a central midfielder. Is that right? Have you seen yeah. much of him? Yeah, he kind of drifts across that. I think I think San Antonio plays a 4-3-3 mm-hmm. and he drifts across that top. I've seen him as like a kind of a false nine, like dropping in between the two wingers and sort of orchestrating things. I've seen him as a central midfielder or as a winger. So a fairly versatile player. Um you know, he's not there yet. He's not like dominating games. But at at his age, he's he's looked pretty good, mm-hmm. and um, I think he drew a penalty t- for a game winning goal at one point, or at least it was a game tying goal. And like you said, he had the two assists. Just one to watch. Yep. Uh, I, th- I assume he's going to be getting his braces out in the next couple years. <laughs> that doesn't help either, does it? Yeah. Um, very nice. Uh, Josh Atencio, um, Seattle Academy signing. Most of these guys are on Academy contracts. And, and um, you know, I got all my information from Transfer Market. It's kind of hard to tell who's actually on an Academy signing and who's on a USL uh, contract. But, you know, the Academy guys can go to college. Um, they don't have to be sold on to Europe in any way. Some of the USL guys might have some issues with both of those things. Yeah, I have like no, I have like no window into that. I see people saying like this guy's on a USL contract, this guy, this guy's on an academy contract. I have like no idea. I don't know where where do you, does transfer market actually list them as two different things? No, they don't change it. Um, but sometimes if they only have a couple minute games appearances in USL, they'll just say that they're with the academy still. Um, but but basically, the USL side signs them. The club signs them, and they are part of the roster, but they fall into a slot that only allows five academy uh, players that are still considered semi-pro, even though it's a pro club. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. yep. So they can okay. still play NCAA soccer if, if it doesn't work out on the pro level. Okay. But only five of those per team, I think. I think that's right. Okay. Okay. So maybe that's what Ledesma was on? Yes. Okay. Anyone going to Europe is pretty much on that contract, or, or even just a USL contract. But none of those guys are homes uh, homeschool are uh, homegrown. <laughs> okay. Well, the the next one on our list is I don't know if he's on a academy contract or a USL contract, but it's a it's a Tensio. You mentioned mm-hmm. him already, who made his debut his USL debut on Wednesday, uh, a week ago Wednesday, and um, on Saturday. He got his first start, and I like to, you know, I don't know how much my opinion is worth on this stuff, but I thought Richie Ledesma was the most exciting young American in USL 
early in the season. I think Atencio is the most exciting of this sort of second wave. Hmm. He he really impressed me in both of those appearances. He got that he got a goal in you know a big loss. I think it was four one in his debut. Kind of a lucky goal. It was def- deflected, uh, deflected, and then went side netting. Yeah, but it's the it's the other things he does. He's very comfortable on the ball. Positive first first touch. Um, looking for good passes. Good under just, pressure. Yeah, just looks like. Uh, I think that's rare. I think you know, like not to pick on him too much, but like when you see Busio out there in USL, I think. You see somebody who's playing a lot of safe passes, and uh, you know he manages to connect his passes because he's not doing anything to advance possession. Atencio was uh, was looking to move move the play forward every time he touched the ball, and still completed ninety five percent of his passes on Saturday night. Oh, that's big! I didn't see that stat. That's really awesome. Yeah, he he um. He doesn't look like an amazing athlete, at least, you know, watching him on TV. But, but that sort of intelligence and uh, technique, really, really exciting to me. Yeah, and and there's a ton of kids at Seattle. Maybe we should just run through them all. Yeah, because you mentioned on one of your recent shows um, about how they're going to be probably the best U19. Is that pretty well? <laughs> everyone seems to agree on that. Seattle's. Yeah, I mean Joey Joey Antone, my co-host on that episode, thinks somebody else is going to be the best. He thinks FC Dallas is going to be the best, mm. but I mean, Seattle won the U seventeen championship last in June or July. It was easily. I think they blew everybody out, and a lot of those kids are graduating up to the U nineteen. So I think they're kind of a, a common pick to win it all. And you, I think there's some returning players, a lot of returning guys. Yeah, some, some and Joey seemed to think a lot of them will be playing in USL mm-hmm. more than uh, more than with the U19 side. Atencio sure looks like he's ready to to make that jump to being a regular in the USL side and not playing in the academy anymore. Um, and he's only 16. Yeah, that's awesome. As Asriel Gonzalez is another one who's 17, has a goal and two assists in USL, and looks like some flashes of greatness there. He's he's able to beat people um, on the dribble and looks like he's ready to shoot from about 20 yards, which I like to see. Too, too many giveaways, not enough um, sort of defensive commitment for me from him and what I've seen in the last two games on the wing, but definitely promising. Nice. And then one more Alfonso Ocampo Chavez. Yeah, probably the least impressive of the three, but he's, he's definitely uh, in the picture for the U 17s as I think Atencio will be mm-hmm. has been. Uh, he plays center forward, but he's pretty slight of frame, kind of a tricky false nine kind of kind of player, but hasn't hasn't looked up to the level of USL in my opinion. Yeah, and those guys, first of all, there's almost no there are almost no center forwards playing that are young in USL. It just isn't happening. It's, yeah, it's like big, strong twenty five year olds, right? Yeah, 
pretty much or crazy yeah crazy fast strong 25 year old um so yeah that may be part of the reason maybe it's really hard to be a, a usl center forward at the age of 16 um especially slider frame guys i don't know but um i was shocked to find out that he was a center forward when 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 you put him on the list here so yeah i mean he he can play on the wing too i just don't know that he's like fast enough for that position we'll see how he how he shakes out makes sense i, I think the 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 one question you had here is where do these guys fit into the u.s youth national team setup atencio and acampo chavez like i said are both uh regular call-ups for the u-17s who have their world cup next year mm-hmm. I'd be surprised if we don't see both of them there uh, Gonzalez is too old for that group and probably not good enough to join the U twenties. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Uh, so those are guys to watch in the, in the world cup, U 17 world cup, uh, which last year was a, a blast to watch. I, I reckon it really was, wasn't it? Yeah. Especially for St. Louis folks. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, there were, there were one or two, um, watch parties at the St. Louis FC headquarters there. So that was fun to, to go do. Um, and, and Sargent did pretty well, so nothing wrong with that either. Right. Um, next one is James Sands. And this is one of my favorites because this is, you know, I, I love the story of not having you a USL side and, and it hurting your system and mm-hmm. NYC and, and Dallas are both teams that are having trouble with that because what James Sands has been stagnant at the U19 for way too long. In my opinion, would you kind of agree with that? You seem like he was ready to, he was ready for a new challenge a long time ago. Yeah. 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 So stagnant may be the wrong word, but I, I agree. That's the best way to say it is he was ready to, to try himself a little higher, but there was nowhere for him to go or at least nowhere that people were willing to send him. Uh, but now he's with Louisville, which is again, one of the best USL sides. It's full of a bunch of older guys for the most part, actually. But um, now John Hackworth has been there for three games now after tonight, I believe. And Sands has played every single one of those games. And I'm wondering if this is going to be a trend with, with Hackwork, um, Hackworth coming from the U17 national team. Are there a bunch of younger kids that um, their perhaps homegrown senior team coaches will trust them with Hackworth more so than other USL coaches might see more of this? Yeah, that would be nice. I mean, who else comes to mind as somebody who needs that kind of uh, that kind of connection besides Sands? Yeah, there aren't many. You know, Reyna may get there. Um, mm-hmm. Dallas could send guys up, but it, now that they have this Bayern thing, they, there may not be guys in, left anymore. Uh, DC United <laughs> still sends their guys to Richmond, kind of, but you could see them stealing. So th- that's the other weird thing is that NYCFC has an affiliate, and it's San Antonio. And they, they haven't sent anyone down there. Not really anyone. Um, you know, they pulled up, um, darn it, I'm, I'm forgetting his, his last name, but he is, um, he's the center back for NYCFC, kind of the third guy out. Uh, Ibiaga mm-hmm. came up from San Antonio, so they're, they're taking guys from San Antonio, but they're not sending anyone down, and that's ridiculous. But, you know, they're sending guys to... Uh, Phoenix Rising got one, a left back recently, I think, and now Louisville has Sands. So perhaps Hackworth can steal from teams that have affiliates. Mm-hmm. As well. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, how do you think Hackworth's going to do? So that's the big question because Louisville went three or four games or more, maybe five or six with um, player coaches. Basically two or three players were just the coaches. And they lost pretty badly once or twice, and then they figured it out again and have been good since. Um, People were worried that James O'Connor going to Orlando was – going to just ruin them perhaps but they're still a quality side they keep winning and winning and winning and tonight's the first loss they've had in a while but they looked crazy tired a lot of um, multi-game weeks in a row so I don't look too much into that yet but you know that was under Hackworth I think their team was just so good and they don't want to change anything major because they don't want to ruin a good thing so I don't know if we'll see what Hackworth's going to be like yeah I want to know yeah, I'm curious too, because you know he's part of that sort of uh, ACC mafia that's been running U.S. soccer for the last yes. forever. Yeah, and like it'll be interesting to see him test himself in the free market. Yes, which I mean, it's not the market's not totally free, but freer than you know moving from being the U17s coach to being the U20s coach or whatever. Don't you always wonder? Don't you wonder like what he would do if he wasn't in that system and kind of under Tab Ramos? Do you wonder, you know, if he had his ways, would he set up Louisville as a four one four one and and go for it, or do you think he would do something totally different? Wait, what 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 influence would Tab Ramos have right now on the U seventeens? Not right now, but I mean, do you think he and Tab got together and said this is the system we should do? This is our favorite way to run a team. Oh, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, he has his own team now, and do you think once this season's over and he starts kind of anew, do you think he'll go toward that 4-1-4-1, or do you think he'll stick with he has a totally different idea of what you should do in USL? What does So what formation does Louisville play? Is it essentially a 4-1-4-1? No, they play uh, 3-5-2 quite often. Okay. Um, and okay. then sometimes a 4-2-3-1. It just depends on... The, the opponent man your knowledge your knowledge is encyclopedic man well it's the, been several years and i'm obsessed <laughs> <laughs> i don't have the um, eyes that you do i gotta rely on other guys to do that sort of thing well yeah, it'll, it will be interesting to see if he like you know after this season is over he gets to make some signings probably see some people depart if he uh brings it right back to the tab ramos four three three I kind of doubt it. Don't you? Like he? Yes. That wasn't his idea. He was no. just doing it. Yeah. That's my feeling as well. So I mean, that's I'm really excited to see what what he does next year, especially the preseason might be fun as well because he'll probably be real experimental in the beginning there. So uh, that'll be fun. Um, anything you want to say about Brendan Aronson, Shaft Brewer, Devin Vega, Shaft Brewer, Devin Vega? Just I, you know, I'm I'm not familiar with Vega. I watched uh, an Aronson performance from a week ago. looked looked promising. Not kind of on the same level as like Asriel Gonzalez. Not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. And Brewer, I haven't gotten to see in Phoenix. Although that seems like a good thing for him to be to be getting minutes because uh, he wasn't going to get him at LAFC. Mm-hmm. I agree. He was okay. He was okay for the U-20s. Like, not, no, nothing uh, to write home about. 
Okay, yeah. So, you know, he's interesting because he's like the reverse of what's happening right now where he went to uh, RB Leipzig and then went to LAFC, but LAFC loaned him to Phoenix Rising. I don't think he's gotten minutes yet. Um, he's one I didn't really look up, but uh, I thought I, we could talk about him. And then Devin Vega is a guy that I kind of want you to watch because I don't know what to think about him, but he's another... He looked really good in the last couple games I saw him. And I don't know if it's legit, but I really like the way he looks on the field. And he's an American um, and he's mm. 19. So hopefully you can take a look and, and maybe let me know what you think. Yeah, I will. He's uh, What position does he play for Phoenix? Attacking mid. And, okay. and, and also Phoenix is an extremely talented team with a lot of attacking power. So that may be part of it as well. He's in a really fun system. So it's a good spot for him. Good spot for Shaft Brewer too. They have a big 40-year-old striker there, don't they? Yeah, I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He plays once um, in a while. Does he not play all the time? No, he pretty much... So he took a World Cup break for sure, and then he sometimes plays on tur- on not turf. So it, whenever there's a good grass field, especially um, at home, he'll, he'll, t- he'll play a couple games. Okay. But he hasn't played since like near the beginning of the season. So I don't know if he's really? going to play that much. Maybe. I don't know. Like we're curious what will happen. Like if they get close to the playoffs, he may play a little bit or he may play in the playoffs. I don't know which way they'll go where they want to use him for really important games or they only want to use him for games that are like not a not a huge deal. I don't know which way they'll go. It seems like a weird setup. Um, he still destroys. Do- it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I remember early in the season he had that. Uh, we were talking about Didier Drogba, if anybody's yeah, wondering. sorry. <laughs> we're diving real deep without letting anyone know. He, um, he remember when he took a swig of a fan's water before yes. he took a corner kick? <laughs> it was amazing. It was so great. And then he dropped a corner kick right on a guy's head for the like game-winning goal, was it? Or was it the game-tying goal? I don't know. I feel like it was like a second or third goal of the game or something. <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, it was against uh, Los Dos too. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of interesting stuff going on in that game. That's pretty funny. Yeah, he's uh, he's doing it right. He's retiring in style. Absolutely. Yeah, more power to him. Chef Brewer's gotten. Let's see, a uh, hundred minutes, hundred and six minutes. Oh, nice. According to Transfer Market, which is my Bible. Which means he's gotten a lot of minutes since he moved there because I think it's only been two weeks, perhaps, that he's been there. So So that's good. I thought I saw he got 90 a few couple games ago. Okay. but uh, Which was a win for Phoenix, but he didn't get on the score sheet. Yeah. I don't think he has any goals yet or anything. So maybe he'll get there. You want to take the lens back a little bit and talk about what all this means? Yes, Or should please. we just sh- shut up and go to no, bed? No, that's more what I'm interested in, to be honest with you. Talk yeah, about I the, mean, yeah. Like I said it at the beginning, I think I just want to reiter- re- reiterate how grateful I am for the USL opportunity for so many of these kids, you know, and it's such a great measuring stick. Mm-hmm. Don't you, don't you agree? I mean, there's just no other way. To, to judge them without if, it. Right. And if it wasn't here, I think it is arguable that some of the um, some of the European teams that they're wanting to go to may not have as much faith in these guys. Um, they want to be able to see 
that they can perform against, you know, grown men. They want to see what they'll do when they have less time on the ball, which USL offers that too. So um, I think it's been a huge help in, in, in maturing these players and even giving faith to uh, clubs that are that are buying them and, and signing contracts with them right now in Europe. Yeah, totally. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what the ESPN Plus uptake rate is in certain crucial German zip codes. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. Someone said, I think it was your your podcasting partner on Scout was saying something like, if, if this goes live, if this feed goes live, it'll be watched by nothing but Dutch Scouts or something. <laughs> right. Yeah, there may be more people in Europe watching those some of these USL games than people in the U.S., Definitely That's not like, true. Well, There's Red no Bull way. 2 games, you might be right. <laughs> yeah. Certain teams, you're right, for sure. Red um, Bull 2, Toronto 2. But it's worth their time. I mean, USL has proved itself to be a useful league, at least in, in certain aspects. I mean, it's not championship. It's not two Bundesliga. But it's become a, a really legitimate league, and I think it's only going to get better and better as far as um, improving as a standalone league as uh, D3 starts taking some of the, the, the dead weight, the not as good teams perhaps, not as developed, mm-hmm. legit clubs, you could say. Are you worried about D3 taking some of the development away perhaps? That may be something people are worried about. Taking some of the oh, like the some of those Atlanta players will be if they end yeah. up in D three will be playing against really like really bad competition. Is that the thing I should be worried about? Yeah, perhaps for sure lesser competition, but I don't yeah. know if it, how bad it'll be. Some of these some of these PDL squads that want a pro team are going to take it pretty seriously. I think. Mm-hmm. Eh, I'm not too worried about that. I mean. <sighs> Yeah, I guess I do. I do wonder what you think is the likelihood of more teenagers getting minutes in USL next year. It if it does seem like a lot of it's happened at Los Dos, Atlanta, Seattle, and you know, there's a handful of other guys around the around the country, but and and Red Bulls, right? Mm-hmm. That's where a lot of the teenagers are getting minutes. Yeah, those are the big ones. And then it's almost a surprise, like I said, with Bryant, um, the independent clubs that have um, academies, sometimes they'll they'll bring up a really young kid, and it's somewhat surprising. So, yeah, it could disappear if some of those teams go down to D3 in, in Division Two, but I hope it doesn't go away. Also, the USL just instituted a new rule for next year that every USL squad must have an academy. So that's pretty cool. That could mm-hmm. be good. Yeah. Are they gonna? Are the the D three games gonna be streamed on ESPN Plus? I don't know for a fact, but I would be shocked if if they aren't. So okay, yeah, I'd bet. That's yes. cool. Yeah, I think that was part of the deal. Is they they want to have both both uh, leagues want to be as similar to each other as possible, so that you know perhaps if if ProRel does happen between the two leagues, it's seamless. So. Okay, well, my my sense is if if Richie Ledesma, I think Richie Ledesma will be kind of an interesting test case if he does get signed by PSV and he you know makes it into the first team, let's say within two years, mm-hmm. which is a big accomplishment, right? Oh, Getting yeah. on the first team at PSV. If that happens and he ends up being a successful European soccer player. 
then that's I think that says a lot about uh, USL as a test as a testing ground because nobody knew who Ledesma was until he like sort of broke on the scene with the US at the at the mega youth camp that Tab Ramos put together in January, mm-hmm. and then he gets five appearances, just enough to get his feet wet in USL. And now you have this sort of body of work against adults, and he he did look good. He looked better than most of the all these other guys we're talking about. If that if if that all results in like ultimately a, a successful European footballer, then I think that means a lot. At least in the way I look at it, yeah, it means a lot for the next time I see somebody who's performing at a high level in USL at such a young age, 16, 17, <laughs> Josh Atencio, I'm going to, um, mm-hmm. I'm going to pay attention. Well, and I think, I think kids will start seeing that not only kids, but scouts and co- and coaches, this could just become the pipeline for the United States. And, and not only for these, these players to have a good career and become as good as they can, but this affects the national team to a great degree. And USL will, possibly play a huge role in that um i even think to a certain degree usl may be the only thing inside of the united states pushing mls to get rid of some of their ridiculous rules well that are ridiculous now but were perhaps necessary to become what they are um you know you, we're seeing the homegrown sales um are now 100 percent back to the club so that's a big deal and and, and i think usl maybe push that timeline a little bit up and then we're also seeing this loan system for some, you know, that we talked about already with FC Dallas and and even NYC sending uh, guys down to different clubs. Um, we're seeing that develop too because I think people are seeing that you have to have a USL club in order to develop these players at this point. It's, mm-hmm. it's all huge. It's a big yeah, change a, from three years ago. Totally, totally, it is. Yeah, it does feel like incrementally, at least, things are moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and USL is a big part of that. Yeah, and and hopefully we don't see too many uh, Shaft Brewers. You know, that was part of that point too. Is that we have all these players going out to Europe, and they could all come back. <laughs> so um, you know, hopefully, I that mean, we're gonna happen. see, we're gonna see that for I mean, sure. That's gonna happen. Shaft Brewer is not gonna be the last. Right. I mean, I see, I see guys. You know, you see announcements on Twitter all almost every day about some kid signing a signing with the club in Europe and there's no way they're all going to pan out, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Most of them are going to come back with their tails between their legs and spend some time, uh, you know, getting water for Didier Drogba in the heat of Phoenix. (laughs) Exactly. Not that that's what Shaft Brewer's doing, but you know, I mean, they're going to, it's going to, they're going to be humbled. Some of them are. Well, they should be so lucky. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I sign Uh, up. And then you and I will sit back here and we'll we'll talk about how yeah we talked about this five years ago. I remember when he left. Yeah, right. Cool. Um, I got nothing else for you. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about before you go? I just one last thing is like who could be a USDA star, like a development academy star, and graduate to USL next season. I'll, I'll just give one name that I think is uh, a good shout. That's Julian Araujo for the Galaxy. Mm. I think there's a good chance we could see him in USL and that he could be impressive. He's like a new pickup for the Galaxy Academy. 
and uh, regular in the youth, U.S. youth national team setup, plays right back. And it kind of has that field-tilting quality that I think Bello has, and maybe Aiden Stanley to some extent. Hmm. Uh, yeah, he came from a different academy, not the Galaxy Academy, right? I think I heard about him on the show. Right, he came from the Barca Academy, yes. which, which did really well in the playoffs last year, too. Yeah, man, well, well, we're going to wrap it up with that. I think um, it's a good time to call it a night, and uh, I appreciate you coming on and talking about this uh, for so long, and um, I hope maybe we'll have time to do it again. Have a good one, man. Okay, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. All right, bye-bye. Adam Bells from the Scuffed Podcast, everybody. Uh, did you make it? Are you still here? <laughs> uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, it was a fun one for me. And again, if it was too self-indulgent, if it's something you guys may not want to hear, just let me know. No big deal. Uh, but if you like it, let me know as well, because um, I'll probably do it again next year, more than likely. Uh, and this is good timing. We have some friendlies coming up. US or The U20s are in camp right now. And uh, yeah, it's a good time to release this. So hope you enjoyed it. Um, I also need to say thank you to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves. It's the official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Also, check out all these uh, podcasts on the Beautiful Game Network. Guys, uh, good content constantly streaming out there. So, uh, yeah, that's all I have for you. Have a good night.